1: This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC.
0: I am now about to speak with Frank Luntz. He is America's fun and top pollster. He is a strategist. He is always on the air opining, and he's always right. His opinion on political matters is respected throughout the United States of America. And he is now about to tell me how well I am doing in the polls, (laughs) Frank Luntz. Frank, where do you come from? Where were you born?
1: I was born in West Hartford, Connecticut, 61 years ago. And it's been quite a journey since then.
0: And your parents were what?
1: Uh, My parents were what? That's interesting. Uh, My grandparents, all four of them were from Ukraine. Two of them from Odessa and two of them from Kiev.
0: At the moment, do you speak to any of the family that was from Ukraine?
1: Uh, Both of them. uh, Unfortunately, my family has gone now, but uh, I do still consider myself Ukrainian in my heritage, and so I take what's going on over there very seriously.
0: That's another whole question and another whole broadcast. I'm going to go on for what we're going through with these days. Tell me about school. Were you a
1: genius, brilliant in school? No, I was an idiot, and I actually I'm embarrassed when I meet people from high school. I have to apologize to them. I was so political and so ridiculous and so emphatic in everything that I said that I and they they come up to me and they said, "We knew you were going to be successful. We knew you were going to climb in politics." And I said, "That is simply not true. I was a jerk, and I apologize." My coming of age happened at the University of Pennsylvania. I graduated uh, with both history and political science degrees. I won an award to pay for my complete education at Oxford, got out, out of Oxford, went into politics, and realized that I had more to learn. So I went and did a fellowship at Harvard. And I'm grateful for my education because I think it set me on a course that I otherwise would never have never have attempted and would never have enjoyed
0: how did you get this thrust this this thirst for politics when you were in school what what Uh, began it
1: it was weird because i was a very late reader but when i learned how to read i could already tell you by the time i was 10 how many electoral votes each state had i could tell you all the presidents forwards by the time i was nine i could do it backwards by the time i was 12 and it's because my parents gave me a subscription to U.S. News and World Report that I read religiously every week, and I remember the pictures. I remember the visuals, and it just fascinated me. My sister has cerebral palsy, has a very difficult time seeing, so she had a really large encyclopedia, especially made for those people who are vision impaired, and I remember discovering the two pages in it that had the Presidents of the United States so I learned them at a young age and my, my message to anyone listening to this is get your kids reading as early as possible and they will discover their interests. They will discover their passions. And I'm thankful because if it wasn't for my mom and dad, I would not have had the life that I've been lucky enough to live.
0: Every time I turn on anything or talk to some VIP, they always tell me Frank Luntz knows everything. You are somebody who's always everywhere, spouting. Tell me, have you ever told (laughs) a nice question? Have you ever told a lie?
1: That's a great question. Yeah, have you? That was, of course. I remember (laughs) Hillary Clinton saying that she tried not to, and that destroyed her entire campaign. I did in the past. When I was younger, I did. Over the last 10, 15 years, absolutely not. I'd rather go through the pain of, of upsetting people by telling them the truth than go through my own personal pain of t- telling something that isn't true. And I've been doing this now publicly. And what people will say to you is they go to me because they know that, good or bad, I'm going to be very explicit with them. And I'm, I'm proud of that. And I, that's another thing I'd say to listeners It's worth it to have the reputation of a truth teller, even if that truth is difficult to tell.
0: Oh, please. I mean, I'm listening to this. I'm getting nauseous with this. You mean to tell me you never have told a lie? Politics is a lie. It
1: begins with a lie. What are you talking about? Cindy, you weren't listening. I'm I'm listening. I'm listening. I actually acknowledge that I was less than truthful years ago. I actually said it in this interview, and this is, I guess, learning lesson number four. Be an active listener. Be a passionate listener. But I've changed. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. I got sick. I ended up in the hospital in January of 2020, and that changed my entire perspective about politics in general and about life in particular. And I've adopted a very different approach. It's why... It's why so many people are, do listen now, because I'm trying so hard to get it right, to be accurate, to be objective and fair, even when things that I believe in, even when it's myself, uh, the answers are difficult, embarrassing, because um, I, think, I think it's what America needs right now, a lot more truth and a lot less B.S.,
0: well, I mean, that's 20 minutes on each one of those statements, and I'm going to get to it. Did you ever get into a fight?
1: Yeah, ever get into a fight? What kind of fight? A verbal fight? A physical yeah, fight? Yeah, well,
0: I mean, I don't ma- imagine it's fisticuffs, but but if you're really fighting with somebody who's a president or a king or some other damn thing, did you ever get into something like that?
1: Absolutely. That's an interesting, that's, a, that's a very personal question, and the answer is yes.
0: Tell me, tell me, tell uh, me.
1: it, It was about, it was around Newt Gingrich. And it was the politics and process that Newt Gingrich was using. He had someone around him by the name of Joe Gaylord. I don't mind telling names, saying names. And Joe Gaylord created the worst memo in the history of politics. And that memo spoke explicitly in how to demonize people. I thought that memo was offensive then. I think it's offensive today, and I think Joe Gaylord should pay a price for that. But unfortunately, thanks to the web, some people thought that I was the author of it. And I say to you now, I say to everyone, that's not the kind of politics I practice. That's not the kind of politics I preach. If you have an issue with negativity, go back to Joe Gaylord's memo, type in Joe Gaylord Gingrich, and you'll see the memo. And the language that was used in that was horrible. And Joe and I argued over it. He tried to get me fired over it, even though he was the author. And to this day, it was a very scarring but telling event in my, in my journey to where I am right now.
0: Okay, so now that I've known your backbone and your background, where is our country headed?
1: It's frightening. It's It's depressing. We we don't want to know the truth. We demonize each other rather than listening to each other. We disagree so badly. The good news is that there are green shoots that are coming up. The American governors, led by uh, Spencer Cox, the governor of Utah, and Jared Polis, the governor of Colorado, a Republican and a Democrat, this initiative that they're putting together is to disagree better. Not to paper over our differences, to, to speak them, articulate them, but find a way that we end up with respect and decency at the end. Tim Shriver of, of uh, a Special Olympics fame has started an organization called Unite. And his purpose is to treat people with dignity as you have these political conversations. I realize that these two initiatives are probably foreign to a lot of people who listen to this program. Because our goal for too long has been to own the opposition, to defeat the opposition, rather than to listen, learn, and then lead from the opposition. So I am, Cindy, I am petrified over the next eight months. I think it's going to be the worst politics since 1968. But I do see some hope in these initiatives to get us to appeal to our better angels.
0: What's going to happen to Donald
1: I think at this point, you can date this. I don't know you have to come up with a date. I think it's February 9th, something like that. As of now, Donald Trump wins. And not because he's strong, but because Joe Biden is so weak. I don't know when this radio program airs, but he will have... Sunday,
0: Sunday, a, Sunday.
1: Sunday. So he will have just done a press conference Thursday night. Talks about... He's not too old. He's not... Losing his mind. And yet in that same press conference, he suggested that the leader of Mexico is Sisi, who is <laughs> actually the leader of Egypt. Yeah, I, I, I do joke that Joe Biden is so old it takes him an hour and a half to watch 60 minutes, that he's so old his favorite painting of The Last Supper because he's in it.
0: OK, that's good. So
1: old, I've got others. I'll, let, I'll leave them for now. But it is a true statement that he is not the same man today that he was four years ago.
0: He wasn't the same man four years ago either, because I met him. He wasn't the same man. He was somebody who was sleazy, and he knew how to work the system. That's what he was. And he was very excited about being president. He did not have any ability. He never accomplished anything.
1: And I will say to you that I don't use words like sleazy, that that's part of the problem. Not part of the solution. I think Biden is a decent man. I just think that for what we need now in 2024 and going forward, the American people look at him. The NBC just published a fascinating survey where about a third of Americans were afraid of Donald Trump's behavior, but two thirds of Americans were afraid of Joe Biden's age. So let's be brutally honest about both. It's the reason why 70% of Americans don't want a rematch of Joe Biden and Donald Trump.
0: I'm not sure I know whether we vote politically or emotionally.
1: Which is it? That is the best question you're going to ask in this entire interview. That is brilliant. And it's a combination. But I'll tell you one thing. Our allegiance to parties is weaker now than it has been at any time in our lifetime. And our and here's the strange thing. Those who support Donald Trump are so committed to him that there is nothing you can say about Trump that will cause them to change their minds. Joe Biden does not have that same, uh, that same pull, that same intensity, and that's hurting him in the surveys right now. Uh, we are afraid of inflation. No, Mr. President, inflation is not transitory. It is real, and people are suffering. We are scared about our southern border. No, Mr. President, it is not under control. It is in chaos right now. And we're concerned about the personalities of the people who are running. Those aren't emotional answers. Those are real, personal, uh, issue-oriented, policy-oriented. But we do, it does matter whether we like the person or not. And it does matter whether we trust the person or not.
0: Do you speak to Donald or Biden or pardon the expression, Nikki?
1: Um, Well, I don't think you have to pardon the expression. I think (laughs) that Nikki Haley is not going to be the Republican nominee. That's pretty clear. But she does have something to contribute to the public debate. No, I don't speak to Joe Biden or Donald Trump. I do speak to their advisors. I do engage in explaining the the will of the American people. And I try to do so accurately and without partisanship, because in the end, we do need to understand each other. We do need to get along. We can argue and fight. But in the end, we have to come together. And Cindy, you've been around. I've been around a long time. You've been around a little bit longer.
0: Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. Yeah.
1: Yes. We can't (laughs) have this. We can't have this division any longer. And I appreciate, by the way. I I know you. I don't know if if, uh, your listeners realize this, but I know who you are. I know what you represent. And you're funny to me because you are New York through and through. Yeah. But the rest of But the rest of America isn't. And I want to make sure that when we're done in 2024, the day after the election, we still have our democracy. We still have our economic freedom and we still have a love and appreciation for our country And for the first time, I'm nervous that it's going to be in jeopardy.
0: I am not as smart as you in in what you're doing. I am not a political analyst. I feel that we are, are lost and that we are sliding into leftism totally. That's what I believe. Did you ever screw up? Anything. Did you ever call something wrong? If we listen to you on every friggin' radio or TV program and you're opining, did you ever screw up something wrong?
1: How about I screwed up one of the biggest elections ever? (laughs) I had access to the exit polling and it was 2016. It was Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. And the exit polls absolutely had Hillary Clinton winning that election. I accepted them because they'd never been wrong up to then. And I was thoroughly embarrassed when they were. And so I went to work. First, I acknowledged it publicly. Second, I figured out what they got wrong. And so on Election Day 2020, I was able to analyze that Trump would win on election night. But as more and more and more votes were counted, the absentee ballots, the early votes, that Joe Biden would catch up and, in fact, move ahead. We all have had mistakes. The question is, do we acknowledge them? Do we learn from them? And do we, in the end, are we right after acknowledging where we got it wrong? And that's been my mission since then.
0: I was standing with Donald the night he was elected. The two of us were standing together looking at the big television screens. And he reminded me of something that Roy Cohn had said to us both 30 years ago. He had said to me when I first met Donald, and I didn't know who the hell Donald was, he was right out of school. I said, Who are you to Donald? And he said, I'm Donald Trump. I said, What's a Donald Trump? And Roy Cohn said, One day he is going to own New York. And the day, the night he was elected, he repeated that to me in my ear, and nobody heard it but me. He said, Remember what Roy said.
1: Okay. And let me let me add something to that because yeah. I take this very seriously. To me, one of the most important lines that were ever uttered is from the movie Patton, and it's not the opening line where he says, "Make the other dumb a bitch die for his country." It was the line at the end of the movie where the slave says to the conquering ruler, "All glory is fleeting. What makes America so great isn't our bravado; it's our humility." It's our willingness to acknowledge that we make mistakes. It's our eagerness to get it better so that we don't do it again. And I'm just afraid that we've lost humility in this country, that instead of being humble, we've become boastful, and that's not good for anyone.
0: Tell me what your polling says or your intellectuality tells me. What is going to happen with Hamas and Israel in your view? Nobody knows, but what do you
1: think? I'm frightened. I'm frightened again because I see no common ground. I see nobody for Israel to negotiate with. I don't see an answer to this because one side doesn't seek an answer They only seek to cause pain and suffering. And even so, I do believe that the Palestinian people should have a homeland. I just don't believe that they should have it in Israel itself. And that is something that the supporters of Hamas now advocate openly. They advocate the end of Israel. Israel has the right to exist as a Jewish state and it will defend that right but Cindy
0: yeah
1: i think we got a long way to go and i don't see i don't see blue skies in the near horizon
0: no i don't see them for our country either
1: well Tell there's me. something there's yeah something go ahead happened. go 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 there's something that's happening on our college campuses that oh. is that is horrific that people think that they have the right to spew hate to to encourage division, to basically threaten the safety and security of people they disagree with. But they will then claim that their own rights are being tread upon. Our education has become illiberal. Our faculty in too many places are intolerant. And instead of preaching knowledge, wisdom, facts, and most importantly, the truth, they're preaching ideology. And I think that that is that education is the solution to so many of what ills us and education is the reason why we are increasingly divided and hateful towards each other.
0: I'm not so so sure about education. A friend of mine just was 15 and asked his mother to read a letter he had just received. And his mother said, well, why don't you read it? And he said, because I can't read cursive. He was 15. What is happening to education? I have one other question. Why is every bloody college, every university, to which we desperately want to send our children, why are they all leftists? Why is every one of their damn professors a leftist? You tell me.
1: Well, I'm not going to defend the university. I think the university is broken. I think the greatest moment in modern university history is when the president of Harvard got fired. She didn't resign. She was fired. And it had nothing to do with race, no matter what she claims. It had to do with her unacceptable acceptance of hate on her campus and her repeated use of plagiarism that would have caused Any other faculty person to have lost her job. The idea that you claim that it is because of race when it's your own immoral, unethical behavior that costs you your job, she should be fired every month again and again as a message to the American academic community and to every student. Do not be afraid to speak up, do not be afraid to speak out, but do it honestly, ethically, and with integrity. And both of those words do not describe the president of Harvard. Thank God she was fired.
0: Okay, I got two questions that jump off of that. That certainly is true, but I don't get my question answered. Why are all these major universities having only left-wing professors?
1: It's simple. In a single word, tenure. And it means that once the academy is taken over ideologically, they decide who gets tenure. They decide their legacy. And it has always been a left of center organization, a left of center institution, because you've heard – I'm not going to do the dose I can not do teach, because I don't believe that. But if you are pro-business, if you are pro-economics, if you believe in capitalism and you want to promote it, you tend to go into business. And those who don't believe in it tend to go into academia because they're critics. And it just becomes a self-repetuating situation. There are exceptions to this, but those exceptions are fewer and far between. And the tragedy is that students are not getting a complete, unvarnished view of academia. And I'm going to give you – I know this is a long answer, but I want to give you specific experience. I was accused – that my class is too too right-wing, that a student went to my boss and said that I had too many Republican professors, and that was simply wrong. I was the most right-wing class that person ever had. I went and counted with my boss the number of Republican speakers. And guess what, Cindy? There yeah. were more Democrats that came and spoke to my class than Republicans. This student who said it was horribly biased because of all the Republican speakers, there were actually more Democrats. What does that say about that institution? What does that say about higher learning when students think that an evenly or even slightly pro-Democratic class is actually too Republican?
0: I have already said in the column that the Harvard presidency has been offered to Obama. He has not denied this. Um, What are you hearing about that, if anything?
1: Uh, it's it's the same thing that I hear about Michelle Obama potentially yeah, replacing Joe Biden. Yeah, I'm saying that too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I it's these are rumors with no basis. In fact, uh, we do know that Barack Obama used his reputation and his credibility to help the Harvard president Gay keep her job. Yes, so I I'd know. I it, know that. I would, I would find it very difficult to think that she gets fired, despite his pleading on her behalf to ignore the plagiarism, to ignore the accusations of race, I can't imagine them turning to him at this point.
0: Well, I'll tell you the truth so far, Frank. You're pretty boring to talk to. So now (laughs) tell me, what do you tell Donald? Do you speak to him?
1: I do not speak to him. The last time I talked to him, I suggested that he stop calling it a war and start calling it a security barrier. He made fun of me for doing that suggesting that that has no ring to it in his rallies, build the security barrier. Build a security barrier. That was not the purpose. The idea was to take the word wall off the table so the Democrats wouldn't oppose it. And if it's a security barrier, it has majority Democratic support. That's the last time I spoke to him. That was in early 2020. I've not even had a conversation with him since. But I got to tell you, if the election were held today, he would be elected the next president of the United States.
0: Yeah, I know, and it's okay by me. I speak to him let me let me let me ask you what your thinking is. Tell me what your thinking is. what's going to happen to him before he gets elected? How bad is it going to be for him? Can he survive it
1: At this point, he was indicted ninety one times. he went up in the polls. He was kicked off two state ballots. He went up in the polls. He's been attacked, criticized, and lost civil trials. He went up in the polls. Donald Trump continues to gain because his opponents are so pathetic in their attacks on him, and Joe Biden has simply lost. I don't. Uh, he's lost so many steps. He's just not the same man. I think Trump. I think it's going to be a difficult campaign for him. I think that. Uh, he needs to reverse his his commitment not to debate it is amazing to me that Donald Trump says he should not debate Joe Biden. That's exactly what he should do, because I can't imagine Biden agreeing to it. And that would put Biden on a hopelessly defensive position.
0: Biden can't even find the men's room. Okay, is there anything else? I mean, I could talk to you for 3 hours, but you're going to get tired of me. So I have to ask you now, is there anything you would like to say before we we before we end it because you're going to get cranky with me if you if you do more. <laughs> yeah,
1: as it. as a way to close this off, I actually <laughs> want to pay tribute to you. I want to oh. to demonstrate my respect to you. You've been doing this, you've been commenting, you've been sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, your point of view, for decades now. And I appreciate it because there is a level of tradition. And I'm grateful to do this. This is um, The timing is not great, but I was never going to turn you down because if you ask, I answer. And I tell everyone who listens to this, follow your column, take it seriously because I may make mistakes as a pollster. You don't make mistakes as a columnist.
0: Well, Frank, thank you. Thank you very, very much. I am I am a, an American first, last, and even in my grave. I am a New Yorker. This is what I care about. This is my life. This is my blood, and I cannot bear what is happening to my country. And I am grateful for people like you who will speak out. I would love you even if you didn't pick up the next dinner check. That's what I have to tell you.
1: Well, I love you, too, and this has been an honor. Please stay healthy. Please Thank you. Be happy, and thank you all.
0: Thank you. Love you. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, honey.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thank you, Frank.